Welcome to the Leopard B2B Lounge, an expert-to-expert conversation on the complexities of business-to-business marketing. Leopard's a specialty agency of Ogilvy & Mather focused on translating B2B complexities into content and conversations that sell. I'm Steve Mudd, marketing strategist and host of the Leopard B2B Lounge. Today we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. How do you understand it? What is it? Um, or really how I learned to stop worrying and love the bots. A joke that I know I understand. I don't know if all of our audience will. Uh, my guest experts today are Karen Canty and Clark Vanderbrook, both account directors here at Leopard. Welcome to the Leopard B2B Lounge. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us. You bet. Thank, thank you for being here. Um, so Clark, Karen, and I had the awesome opportunity to attend uh, IBM's conference, World of Watson, 2016. So. Maybe we'll start with Clark. Clark, what is the world of Watson? How would you describe it? Sure, so World of Watson uh, is IBM's premier event and uh, it's, it is an expression of their entire portfolio and how that impacts business. And they've pivoted this year to really focus on Watson as sort of the lead offering of, of where they're kind of circling their entire business around. So it, it's a tremendous showcase of um, thought leaders, speakers, um, clients, and, and all sorts of examples to both inspire and kind of help people get their heads around how to apply, how they might potentially apply Watson to their business. So uh, Watson is an expression of, you know, is a technology in essence. Right. It's an artificially intelligent technology. Karen, what is artificial intelligence? That's kind of a loaded question, right? <laughs> yeah, um, but you know the the short answer is it's the ability to have systems that that think and reason uh, and learn, and so with Watson uh, technology, you can embed that really into anything, uh, and you can create systems that sort of augment our human capabilities, uh, so that we can do more, learn more, and be better and build better things. Uh, whether that be in business or in our personal lives. Is it about robots? Is it about building different types of robots that are going to take over the planet? So some people do think that, uh, but you know, we, we think about robots in different terms uh, when we talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, bots are really built within the systems themselves. They're not actual robots that are you know, walking around and, and talking, although it's a great manifestation of that. Uh, you know, it's about, you know, when we look at, when we use our phones, for example, when we use the apps within our phones, uh, you know, there's a lot of artificial intelligence built in today uh, that we just don't know. I mean, people aren't aware that these, these technologies are actually learning our habits and our behaviors uh, and they're creating experiences uh, that make things easier and better for us. Did you see any robots at the conference? I'm really worried about the robots. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did see the robots, but I was taking a nap at the time. It was recharging. <laughs> so I, I didn't get actually... Uh, They're get, absorbing a lot of information. They are absorbing they get a lot tired of information. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I think to Karen's point, you know, the robots are, are a great sort of theatrical example of, of what the, the technology can do. But um, I think it's sort of what's behind the bot that, that is probably the more, more fascinating and kind of engaging uh, and inspirational types of ways that, that artificial intelligence is really impacting technology. So from an event standpoint, like what, what were the highlights of the event that stuck out to you? What was the experience like to walk around and 
see the the, mm -hmm. the robots who were charging or see other yeah. pieces. So the, it's a very different type of event than I think, you know, I personally have been going to my whole life where, uh, you know, there are different sections that you go to and uh, presentations that you uh, are a part of um, that they really built out an experience. And so wherever you were walking to or wherever you landed, uh, there was something there for you to take in and learn uh, and to be fascinated by. So there, there wasn't a shortage of things that you were encountering along the way, not to mention just the sheer you know, brain power that existed and the talent that was there uh, to kind of absorb and, and feel like you were just being immersed in something that was really life-changing. Yeah, I, I think IBM did a tremendous job of reinventing what a, a conference like this can be. Um, you know, historically conferences are about the products and, and the descriptions of the products. And instead this conference was about the outcomes of what those, those products help achieve. And to your point, Karen, everything was experiential. Um, and so it, it was windows into seeing how this technology provides a different type of experience, regardless of, of what kind of technology you might be interacting with. It, it's via language or via the weather or via cooking or whatever it might be, how that, that type of technology can influence and enhance um, much, of, you know, much of the work that we all do in, in so many different types of businesses. I felt like there was certainly a sense of artificial intelligence as an, as an emerging technology is going to revolutionize so much. And right. I think it, it set the stage for um, kind of this very broad future. And so you know, it, it wasn't just the techie IT people who were giving you the presentation and here's the architecture of the mm -hmm. product. It was very much about what are the social ramifications of, of what we're doing. You know, so I, I, I really appreciated that they had you know, like Thomas Friedman and David yeah. Brin. And they had non-IT industry speakers there to really set the stage for you know, this, this whole world that's about to change. Yeah. That's right. I was impressed uh, with that uh, breadth of talent and speakers, um, you know, from oncologists to artists, uh, you know, to people from NASA to, I mean, it, it, the industries that Watson is, is touching and impacting right now um, is really incredible and the way in which they're able to really start to change the way that we can do things, changing people's lives, uh, is mind-boggling. What's a good example of that? So my favorite example is uh, an oncologist uh, from Japan that was talking about uh, some of the most complicated uh, patient situations that, that they are trying to solve for. And they have teams of just, you know, some of the best and the brightest together trying to really identify best treatment plans. Uh, one patient individual who was really in, um, in a situation where if the treatment wasn't going to work, uh, this patient was likely going to die. And they came up with what they thought was the best treatment plan, and it did not work. They, they put the information into Watson, uh, and within 10 minutes, Watson was able to identify a gene that took them down a completely different course, and that patient is now in remission. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's one individual. 
yeah. uh, and Watson's ability within 10 minutes to do something that, you know, there's just the sheer volume of information, medical information out there uh, isn't, doesn't allow for us as humans to be able to solve some of these things. Um, and Watson can do that. I think IBM has said that, you know, CEO Jenny Rometty has talked about cancer being the moonshot for IBM. Exactly. And it doesn't feel like hyperbole you know, when you hear those stories, when you see how these, these things are being used. And um, like I know that they've made some of their cancer apps available to even to, to their employees who are undergoing treatment and things like that, even beyond, you know, the, the clients that they have. So that, that's a, a amazing story. I think it's going to come and change. and Everybody will be touched by this technology in a very personal way. The one that uh, struck me was Sesame Street. And just to see you know, the creative director for Sesame Street, like this guy's probably got the greatest job in the world and he's worked on this content since the show began, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And to see how even something as, as um, charming and familiar as Sesame Street is to all of us, that they see an opportunity for their content and, and the way they engage with children to be even better and more personalized and more effective. And that the marrying of creativity and a brilliant creative mind and the, the opportunity for children to, to have an even better learning experience is being revealed in terms of their engagement with Watson and, and the learning, gathering all the learning that that brain trust has gathered over the years as well as all of the external data that's that's available to kind of combine those and, and see what are more enhanced and better education techniques for, for children was pretty cool and it's and it's still magical. You know, it's still a lot of fun. And you met Elmo. We met Elmo. And Grover. <laughs> that's good stuff. <laughs> was on the bucket list. <laughs> it, it was on my bucket list too, and I, and I missed Elmo and Grover. But I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Perhaps another conference will have yeah. Elmo and Grover. I, I hope so. <laughs> um, it, well, it's, it's really, I mean, the other, the other story, you know, it, amongst the keynotes, um, one of the things that struck me was when Alex DeKid, music producer, mm -hmm who had used Watson to understand kind of what's the vibe of the world right now yeah. and use that to create some new music. And when he was engaging with Jenny Rometty on stage, at a very personal level, it was right. very much like, you know, what, what, why are we all here? And, and mm -hmm. what is the, the focus of that? And there is something childlike, I think, about the wonder that artificial intelligence can kind of bring. You know, it brings a freshness and a new sort of attitude to it. And then there's stuff you know, on the other side of the coin, you've got companies like Woodside and Staples you know, who, are, who are taking steps towards, you know, or who are adopting this technology early on you know, to solve some of their own individual kind of business problems. And I mean, is there a business problem that artificial intelligence can't touch? Hard to say. I mean, it, you, you, you tend to immediately go to no because the, the intelligence, you know, it is about enhancing your human capability of what you as an individual can do and what technology can help you do what you do better. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a gateway probably for any profession or any, any individual to engage with technology and data and insights to be more informed and be able to kind of consume larger amounts of content that we're physically capable of doing 
we could probably all be better, at, you know, as this technology impacts our lives. And I think, you know, in a, we probably already are in so so many ways with the things that are, we're experiencing with our apps and the level of personalization and all those types of things that are continuing to evolve. Um, I think it does bring up, um, you know, the, the point of ethics. And, you know, it's not, I don't know that that's something artificial intelligence solves. It's something that we as people have to solve uh, as we embark on this whole new kind of era. Um, and, you know, one that I think is making uh, causing artificial intelligence to really scare people. Um, you know, there's there's one side of really embracing it and understanding its capabilities and the other side of, you know, it, it can be scary. Uh, you know, we, we run into that with big data already. Um, and what does it mean when we amp that up? There is that sense of, um, and I think Thomas Friedman in his keynote alluded to this idea that we now have the capability, or we will have the capability, to solve every single problem. But at the same time, we are also faced with the prospect that a single person can destroy everything. And so how do you yeah. rewrite the rules around that? Yeah. How do we as a society prepare for you know, those ethical arguments? And it's not about the robots. If we're going to push the button and Skynet's going to destroy the planet, it is about, you know, if, if you're augmenting the intelligence of an evil person, is that good? You know, how, right. how much Exactly, power and have? you know, and we can, you know, just go back in history and the things that, uh, you know, people are able to use for good or use for bad. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we just have to do what we can to protect, uh, you know, this... Um, evolution of artificial intelligence uh, against the people that can do harm. Yeah, I, I sense there was a very strong emotional response when, when Ginny acknowledged the, the sort of the, the responsibility of everybody in that conference to, uh, to own the ethics of the space. Um, that was, that was a significant crowd response on that because I think everybody does recognize and probably those who are in technology even more so the, the sheer magnitude of what, what is in front of us on this and how, how do you deal with that and we will all probably make personal decisions that impact the ethics of this space. So I, I appreciated that she as the leader of IBM acknowledged that and, and raised that issue in such a public forum, so it's, it, it's good to keep in mind and, and one that I'm sure everybody will wrestle with. Do you feel like your job is safe from artificial intelligence? You, know, we, you, you alluded to um, you know, some, some announcements around some very specific solutions that are there to help mm -hmm. marketers, to help teachers, to help supply chain professionals, you know, whatever it yeah. is. What jobs are safe and what jobs aren't safe in this new world? So I think there's has been for a long time, regardless of whether there's artificial intelligence or not, uh, a move towards um, technology and automation and the things that uh, that technology is able to do uh, to automate certain things, and then you don't necessarily need those skills anymore uh, because they're being done on your behalf. But the idea behind artificial intelligence is to sort of augment what, what we can do and make us better. 
Um, let's take teaching as an example, um, where Watson um, is able to come in and, and we're building tools that allow teachers to become better teachers, to not be so bogged down uh, in the bureaucracy and the day-to-day -day things that take them away from really being able to focus on the needs of individual students. And now you can really understand students better uh, and understand their patterns, identify things that um, will help them uh, learn and excel as a student, individualize plans, uh, as well as connect teachers and students in ways that we haven't really even thought about yet. Um, and so IBM is really taking the idea of no student left behind <laughs> to, you know, every student deserves the same opportunity uh, around the world to learn and to become the best at whatever they can be. Um, so I mean, it's like the, but the nature of being a teacher will inevitably change. And it, it always, I mean, I don't think there's one profession or one job that doesn't inevitably change, right? So is it what I do today going to be the same thing I do 10 years from now? Most surely not. I mean, but, and will technology impact that? Absolutely. Uh, and it has been for my entire career. So I, I think I think what we do and how we do it is, is going to change. I think new professions will emerge that don't, we can't even fathom at the moment. Others will become less relevant, but I think they'll They'll be pivoting into different places. You know, the, the, the output of a, a factory worker may morph into something completely different. It's still a, about the, the core idea of producing something, but you're doing it in a new way with, with new tools and new capacity to, to think about those things in different ways that ultimately make it better. So I, I, I kind of go back to like Thomas Friedman and some of the bigger ideas is that, you know, the nature of work and the nature of what we do. It, the social contract of that is probably going to change just by the nature of the technology that impacts our jobs and, and what we can wrap our arms around and, and bake into what we do and how we do it makes us a more valuable employee. But the, the nature of that relationship will probably change a lot because technology gives us all sorts of different ways to go at that and, and, and how we embrace it. And I love this idea of you know becoming lifelong learners that you know we're at a stage where technology is moving so fast um, and things are changing so fast that we have to stay on top of that and continue to learn and stay relevant because the risk of not doing that is so high that um, you know we become irrelevant then you know shame on us uh, but it's up to us individually and as teams and as organizations to enable that. So we're living right now in a very divisive time. There's a lot of social unrest. There's a lot of divisions within society. Are we as a society prepared to deal with this new gift that we've been given? Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> so it, it goes. It, out, right? yeah, it, <laughs> it, it goes back to. Um, we use it for good or we use it for bad, right? I think that there's so much potential to create, um, you know, a better society out of it. 
on the flip side of that, there are dangers. Uh, and those dangers are, um, they're, they're real and they're right in front of us. Um, we're in a pretty tumultuous time. And in, in, in these things happening in parallel, um, you know, create, I think, excitement, but fear. Uh, and so are we going to be paralyzed by, by it or are we going to lean into it and really embrace it uh, and see where it can take us? I don't, I don't think there's going to be any simple or smooth way things ever move forward. I mean, life, life is messy, right? The world's messy. It always has been. We're just in an era where there are a lot of different factors in play that have never existed before. But, you know, you think about fake news. So fake news is all of a sudden being addressed as can, can Facebook actually use technology to identify valid or unvalid sources and start to provide some deeper insights in terms of things that are being posted. Like, okay, well, nobody even thought about that a year ago, but it's, it's a technology-based way that, like, is there truth out there? Is there something that can help us understand whether things are true or fictitious or not? So, and I, I think we're just all have continually adapt to what, what is presented to us and, and be thoughtful about it. Um, but. I, we're, we're in for a hell of a ride, you know? So, but part of it is like we can enjoy the ride and embrace that and participate in it. Um, I don't, I think the technology has accelerated the world to such a point that there, there is, there's people who are passive or want to stand on the sidelines will be left behind and feel disenfranchised. So, um, but, uh, but everybody's got a smartphone. That didn't seem to be a difficult thing for people to adopt. So there, there are entry points that I think are useful and understandable. We don't all have to understand every aspect of this, but I think we'll, we have to be open to seeing and acknowledging and learning what, what's being presented before us and be, be critical with it as well. So I'm going to give you right now a magical opportunity. We're going to give you uh, a dedicated team of programmers and robot builders to build a robot to help you. So Karen, what does your robot do to make your life easier? It stays by my side. <laughs> it never leaves me. Uh, I would say, you know, I would take it actually out of the business realm and put it into my personal life um, and try to engage with my daughter and my family uh, in ways that can make our lives better, more convenient, um, you know, can figure out my grocery list again. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I have a seven-year-old daughter who, you know, is just learning to do homework. She's, uh, you know, in a, in a very um, important stage in her growth. And it's hard as parents and as hard as a working mother to stay on top of that and make sure that you know, she's developing in the right ways. So I think if I could have a robot who was able to help, I would take that in a heartbeat. I think a robot chaperone for me to, to follow my, my stepdaughter around when, when she's hanging out with her boyfriend. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a good one that too. That would be awesome. Yes. What, what does the Clark bot look like? So the Clark bot, um, you know, I, I I think given the, given the times uh, that we were just discussing, it's just how tumultuous it is, and I think people's ability to uh, 
um, have critical thinking. Uh, I think it's just paramount um, for us as a society. So, um, and I, I think this is the level of personalization and the ability to understand hypotheses and alternative points of view and cultural nuances are really, really important for people to be able to grasp and understand. So uh, the Clark bot would somehow provide an accessible and friendly means of critical thinking, I think, that, that helps people grasp multiple ideas and help make sense of them because I think that's what is so difficult for folks right now, that the easier way is to entrench yourself into your own way of thinking. and so. Is this like a talk show where you know you you reveal the bots it, to us? It now? Could be, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so, Nita has built the bots yeah. for you. Yeah. But some, like, there could be an app for that. It's like, hey, I'm thinking about this, but this is there is another way to think about yeah. it? I don't know. Like, you know, be able to have the Dave Cabot show and just with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think there's a sense of um, when you look back to your point. Can you imagine? Do you remember what it was like not to have a smartphone? Um, I remember typing term papers on a typewriter, mm -hmm. like that was a thing, and I was excited to learn to type. I took a typing class, right? And yeah. what would I do now? I don't, I don't understand how work got done before computers. So I, I think we're we're staring at this amazing time that, that yeah. whatever we want to build, we can build. Well, and we adapt quickly. Yes. So. I, you know, it is amazing when we look back and, you know, I remember when ATM machines first came out and I thought to myself, who would take money out of a machine on the street? Yeah. Who would do that? <laughs> you know, and yet we adapt, we adapted to that very quickly. Uh, and, you know, the smartphone's a great example. Uh, we have, you know, we're so dependent on those things now, um, but the, the ability uh, that, or the abilities continue to evolve on uh, the things that we can do on our devices uh, and you know I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see what is coming um, and very excited that we are situated in a place where we're helping IBM tell those stories uh, and that's you know it's an amazing time to just sit back and, and watch it but it's even that much more amazing to, to be at the table to help tell these stories. That's awesome. All right, we'll hand it over to the podcast bot to close us out today. Uh, we're glad you joined us here in the Leopard B2B Lounge. I'm your host, Steve Mudd. Thank you to our guest experts, uh, Karen Canty and Clark Vanderbrook. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Uh, Leopard is a specialty agency of Ogilvy & Mather, focused on translating the complexities of the B2B world into content and conversations itself. Check back with us next time when we'll discuss whether or not the moon is a secret base for ancient alien robots who are simply waiting for us to build their new army for a takeover of planet Earth.